Orcas and salmon are friends that need help. Our ocean pals are facing some trouble. Less trouble, more bubbles. There's so much we can do. Do you know what I'm thinking? Let's start preaching extinction. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Breaching Extinction podcast. For those of you that are new here, this podcast is focused mostly on cetaceans, meaning whales and dolphins, ocean-related topics, and endangered animals. My name is Erica Worth. I'm your host here. I started this podcast in 2019 after spending a summer up in the San Juan Islands in the habitat of the southern resident killer whales. The first two years of this podcast focused specifically on that group of whales. I interviewed a variety of people from various backgrounds in regards to issues with that specific species. So if you're interested in learning about them, go back to our first two years worth of episodes. We are now here in season four and we are expanding a bit. So now we cover all kinds of topics. If you're interested in being on the podcast or you have a topic or a paper that you would like to have covered send us an email or a message on Instagram, something like that. My email is erica at breachingextinction.com. That's Erica with a C and breaching extinction. I hope you guys enjoy this week's episode and we'll just get to it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. I hope you guys all had a wonderful week. This week, I'm here with Katie Korski. She is a researcher studying humpback whales. How are you doing today, Katie? I'm doing lovely. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. For sure. Um, So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What are your hobbies? Sure. Uh, I am from Vancouver Island, BC. That's where I grew up. And I um, moved out to the east coast of Canada when I finished high school. So I came out here for university to do my bachelor's degree in marine biology at Dalhousie University. And I kind of fell in love with the East Coast and I've stayed out here ever since. Um, So since moving out here, I finished my undergraduate degree and then I went to work in the industry where I learned a lot about acoustic monitoring and studying whales and dolphins using acoustic technology. And then I managed to angle my way back into academia and, and went, went back to school to, to do my PhD. And that's where I really got into the humpback whale research that I was able to focus on for my thesis. Um, and I wrapped that up in 2021. And I've since uh, kind of gotten back into the industry, still kind of in academia, really whatever has to do with whales, I uh, stay pretty involved with. But yeah, that's kind of the quick and dirty history of my life. (laughs) Nice. When you're not studying whales, what kind of things do you like to do? Um, I spend a lot of time just trying to keep up with my dog. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Um, we live pretty close to a number of beaches and things, my husband and I, so kind of when we're not working, we're going on hikes and walks on the beach and sounds like an over-romanticized thing. Oh, I like long walks on the beach, but, uh, 
yeah, I keep up with my dog a lot and just, I don't know, I feel like it's always about, even my hobbies tend to be about whales and whaley things. So I, I volunteer with the Rescue Society here, so that takes up some time. And um, I also volunteer with a government committee that, uh, with a COSUIC committee that um, looks at endangered wildlife in Canada. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I have any fun more fun hobbies. <laughs> I think that is pretty fun. And I think it's normal for a lot of whale people to have whale hobbies outside of their whale job. So yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's really cool. Um, so have you always loved whales? Is it something that like, you know, you always knew from a young age that you wanted to do, or did you kind of just like come across it when you were a little bit older? Yeah. I'm one of those stereotypical I was born this way yeah. type, of, type of whale people. Um, but I was uh, trying to figure out when the obsession started. I look at every year my mom would decorate. She's one of those just really awesome moms that would do amazing themed birthday parties. And every year she would theme it to whatever her kid was obsessed with that year. Um, and it was year three that it started being a dolphin <laughs> and it stayed that there were some orcas, but um so I don't know that just, yep, just one of those. For sure. Yeah, li- lifelong passions for sure. Very cool. Um, so tell us about your most recent study. Yeah, so my, uh, the recent paper that came out was actually the last one of the last chapter of my thesis. And it was kind of this brief side bit that I had in the back of my mind when I was doing my um, kind of getting through school and it ended up being the coolest chapter I think um, which is kind of fun how that sometimes happens um, even though I didn't have that much information and I didn't have much time I got really really neat results so um, with that research I was looking at um, humpback whale songs here on the east coast uh, so our humpback whales migrate, or at least chunk of them migrate from the Caribbean up to more northern waters that include Canada, but also off of the U.S. And um, they'll even migrate all the way across to places like Norway and um, things like that. I, I focused on the ones off of Canada and in the Caribbean, and that work was on acoustic monitoring. So we have these devices that sit on the sea floor and we can leave them out there for months or years and they just record all the sounds in the ocean, which of course includes whales. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had this great data set that wasn't put out there specifically for humpback whales. Um, but a fun thing about acoustic recording is you record everything, even if you're not targeting it. Mm-hmm. So you, you might be interested in a certain species, but you're going to record everything. So I ended up with a really nice data set that... Uh, captured a lot of sounds of humpback whales. Um, and there were a couple research groups that were willing to share their data so that I could look at them um, in different parts of the ocean through their migratory pattern. And what I focused on was their songs. So humpback whales are famous for their songs. I don't know if you're familiar with their um Yes. Yeah. At all. <laughs> I feel like the humpback whale is like the iconic singing animal other than birds, you know, like the iconic underwater singing animal. Yeah. A hundred percent. So, um, a brief kind of 
why why do we find humpback whale songs really interesting um a lot of animals sing like you say you know you can listen to cricket singing and frogs singing and birds singing um what's you what stands out about humpback whales is that their songs are very long and they're very complex mm -hmm. and um I think they're really cool because they were really involved in a cultural shift in human history when it comes to whales. Mm -hmm. So there was a time when we considered whales to be a resource or even a competitor and they were hunted for their oil. And um, it brought many populations, including a lot of humpback whales to the brink of extinction. And one of the things that kind of changed our mindset was the discovery of the humpback whale song. So there was kind of this period in the 70s when, um, you know, Greenpeace and it became really public that these animals, they're not just animals, they sing and they have culture and they're learning the song and the song is spreading and it has choruses and verses and it repeats for hours in a really complex way. And they're learning it from each other and sharing it with each other. And um, that kind of cultural behavior they have then impacted our behavior in a way because humans heard it and they related to it. And it, you know, it wasn't just an animal, it wasn't just a resource. It's this really amazing being that maybe we don't want to go extinct anymore. Um, so that's often was one of the poster childs for, you know, save the whales. Mm -hmm. It was save the humpbacks. Um, and luckily a lot of their populations been doing really well, which is excellent. Um, so the neat thing about their songs, yes, they're very long, they're very complex. Um, they sing them for a, a part of the year. So at the beginning of a season, all the, all the whales in the same area will start singing a song. Mm -hmm. And that song is kind of sort of the same. So it's kind of like how we start singing Christmas carols every Christmas. Okay. And if we were all to sing um, jingle bells, but there's a lot of different versions of jingle bells, right? You can hear like 18 different versions on the radio. So it's kind of like that. They're all singing the same song. And then through the singing season, and these are the males, the males that are singing that we know of. And through the season, they start changing the song. Mm -hmm. So maybe Jingle Bells goes from a classical version to a more jazzy version, and it kind of changes through the singing season. Um, or maybe they'll suddenly change songs. Maybe they'll suddenly change to singing um, Silent Night, a completely different song. Um, and that's really unique in the animal kingdom, this that they're all changing, but they're all changing together. And each population is kind of singing a different song you can actually identify what group they're in with what song they're singing. Mm -hmm. And then they stop singing at some point in the Northern hemisphere in the fall. And then they just start singing again in the spring. So this kind of behavior has really um, piqued the curiosity of many scientists. Cause a lot of the classic singers like birds, you think of them as um, you know, you want to stand out. You don't want to conform because you're a male and you want to maybe stand out to the ladies. But with the humpback whales, it's so much more complex than that. We don't even have clear evidence that they're singing to attract mates. We assume they are, but it, it's been this ongoing mystery to understand why they're spending so much of their energy and time and how it got so complex. Mm -hmm. So why is it important that we know about humpback whale acoustics? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I think part of it is that it's just curiosity. It's just that question of why are you doing something I want to understand. And if I understand why you're doing that, I can understand the biological processes of culture and evolution and vocalizations on a greater scale. And there's that just exploratory 
section of it, Mm -hmm. then there's a really practical use. Mm -hmm. So in my field, I work at a company called JASCO Applied Sciences, where we study acoustic data from all over the world. And uh, there can be a number of reasons that we are listening to acoustic data. And one of them might be for mitigation. Mm -hmm. Uh, There might be something that might hurt animals in the ocean, like a loud sound, maybe like oil and gas development. And you're listening to monitor for the whales. You want to know when they're there so that you can stop that activity that could hurt them because they're very, very sensitive to sound. So one of the things that's really important is understanding what on earth they sound like (laughs) and what do those acoustic signals mean? So that when you're um, listening to the data, maybe I receive data, I'm listening to data in real time, I can say, oh, it's this species. Oh, they're doing this behavior. That's really important. Um, Or maybe I'm trying to create some sort of automated detection system to detect this species. Well, understanding their vocalizations, how they change through time, what they sound like, um, that can help me develop these automated systems to also go through these huge acoustic data sets Mm -hmm. and find these whales Um, So there might be this real-time mitigation where we want to say there's a whale here right now, stop your activities, or there might be just an understanding of where and when the animals are. So I think what a lot of people don't understand is we, there's so much about whales and dolphins that we don't know for (laughs) For most, yeah, for most species, we still don't know their distributions, where they are seasonally, they're migrate, like how they get from one place to another. We don't know what routes they take. And if we don't know their distribution, then we can't protect them. For sure. If we don't know how many there are, we can't protect them. And that's kind of the way our, I'll say our, in terms of say like the US or Canada, that's the way our laws work. We need to understand trends in distribution and quantities before we can give them protections. Mm-hmm. Um, and because these animals are so hard to study, acoustics is one way to do that. So the more we understand something like humpback whale acoustics, the more we can, when I get these data sets back, I can uh, get information on when and where they are throughout the year. Yeah. That's, Does that make, make well, sense? Yeah, definitely. No, we need to, we need to understand science in order to protect the animals. Cause we've seen so many times throughout history where it's like, people are thinking that they're doing something good and conservation basic when they used to just like short shoot orcas off of like you know the west coast um and that's not like a good conservation plan um but they felt like it was at the time um so yeah totally makes sense um so how did you choose to look at the acoustics of humpback whales and start comparing these different populations so i um was working on a data set uh, not in school with with JASCO. I was working on this data set. There's there's this long term recorder. We have the. I'll backtrack. There's a place off Nova Scotia. Um, it's a Gully Canyon. It's a deep water submarine canyon, just kind of off the shelf, and it's this really unique ha- habitat. And it's a marine protected area, and it's been one for a number of years. And there has been ongoing acoustic monitoring there. So researchers at DFO, the Department of Fisheries and Oceans Canada have been putting out long-term acoustic recorders there for years. Um, And those recorders they use are built by the company that I work for. So often we also get to do some of the data analysis. So I was analyzing the data just for presence of absence of all species. So they're they're really interested in, they have a 
there's an endangered beaked whale called northern bottomless whales there. So a lot of people are focusing on the signals of those species. But I was going through and I made it to the winter months and lo and behold, there's a humpback singing. Mm -hmm. And they're the typical story, the the tale we tell humpback whales is they migrate south. They're Mm -hmm. not in northern waters in the winter. And here there was months of songs through these recordings. In fact, they only, they only, we only found them in the gully in the winter and then they were gone through the summer and the gullies. Yeah. It's just off Nova Scotia. It's pretty far North. Um, and because they leave our coastal waters over here in the winter, we assumed they went South. We didn't really know where they were, but somehow they made it to the Caribbean and here they here at least some individuals were spending a couple winters just off just off our waters um so that kind of when I found that I'm really lucky to work for some people that really encourage um exploration and side projects <laughs> so I said you know what I'd like to I'd like to look at this further and, and I'd like to dig into what's going on with these whales so it started as as the side project I did in my spare time to understand that data set and eventually got to the point where some of the people I was collaborating with said you know if you're going to keep working on the weekends, listening to humpback whales, you might as well um, do a thesis on it. So, <laughs> so, so that's kind of how I ended up with that species. Um, and it's, it's also one that even though we have had so many recordings of their vocalizations, no one had really looked at it. And one of the reasons for that is that they're not protected on this coast. Um, so they're considered not at risk anymore. They recovered pretty well from whaling days. And um, for good or for bad, if an animal isn't endangered, it doesn't get the funding to investigate it. For sure. Which can be, I think, one of our pitfalls, because if we're not monitoring the trends, then we can miss something until it's too late. So I would argue we should be monitoring all of them. But um, yeah, so I got... I was excited to get an opportunity to look at a species that really hasn't been looked at that much on this coast. Again, for the reason that we really focus on those endangered animals are blue whales, northern bottlenose, right whales. Um, we have a few other protected species over here that get, get a lot of time and attention. So I gave a little bit to the humpback whales and I think they sound amazing. So that helped too. <laughs> yeah, that definitely helps. Um, yeah. Cause I know like we see a lot of humpback whales in the Monterey Bay and we're always telling people like a lot of times they make sounds for reproductive purposes, but they're not supposed to be reproducing in this area. And we do hear them on the hydrophone here a lot too. Um, so that's really interesting. Um, so how did you conduct this study? Like, did you guys plant hydrophones out in like specific locations or were you on a boat, like collecting data at certain hours? How did you guys go about this? So The entirety of my research was done using data from other research programs, um, which is one of the way I got funding to study a species that wasn't funded. (laughs) So uh, there was a really big program off the East Coast of Canada that went from Nova Scotia to Labrador called that um, JASCO got uh, money for from the Environmental Science Research Fund and that was a two-year program. There was over 20 recorders and they just sat on the seafloor for two years and recorded everything. Mm-hmm. So that was this huge data set of um, vessels and 
you know, fishing and cruise ships and fish and seals and <laughs> dolphins and beaked whales and whales. So I had that to, to mine. Um, and then in addition to that, I have some amazing collaborators at NOAA um, who had done a project off of uh, the Dominican Republic uh, mm. to look specifically at humpback whales. And they, they had some great data from that. Uh, but all so, so far with their data set, they had mostly looked at presence absence. They hadn't really analyzed the songs. So, so they had some great data from that that happened to line up in time with the data set I had from further north. And then there was another data set from a third program off of Maine. And again, I just reached out to them. I said, I know you have this in storage and um, just some really amazing people were able to, you know, over Google Drive or, or by shipping me a hard drive, were able to say, yep, take you know, have a look, investigate this data. Um, so yeah, there was a few different devices used. Um, the devices from up here in Canada were called autonomous multi-channel acoustic recorders. That's what's made by JASCO Applied Sciences. And then the ones, uh, the rest of the data set were from MARU's um, Marine Autonomous Recording Units, I believe. Um, so yeah, it was this great collaboration of just different devices from different years from three different research projects and I could mush it all together to investigate my research question. Amazing. So what does this mean now that we know that humpback whales are hanging out and they're singing? Like are, are they a resident population there? Because I know we have like a handful of whales here that'll hang out throughout the winter. Do you have any idea like what they're doing or maybe why they're singing? Is all of this still a mystery? Yeah, good question. Um, I think it's become, it before I started my research even, there, there were a number of papers out there from around the world noting that, hey, we're hearing songs up north. Um, so, or, or down south, or in Antarctica, another feeding ground. So there was this idea that, hey, there seem to be some stragglers or maybe a few individuals don't migrate. And there are these, these kind of ideas out there. And, and really in the past, you know, five to 10 years, it's, but we're realizing they're singing a lot, um, not on their breeding grounds. Okay. Um, and what that means is a really good question. So it's been proposed, does that mean they're mating mm -hmm. on their feeding grounds? And that's important for conservation too, right? Those are one of the main areas you wanna protect for any species is yeah. where their important habitat, breeding habitat is. So does that mean that they're mating? Um, and that's kind of what I tried to investigate. So in trying to understand, so first I said, okay, they're definitely singing in Canadian waters and the US waters. They're definitely singing up here. Um, they're starting in, you know, as early as September, long before they migrate. Um, and they're hanging around until January. Mm -hmm. um, up here, and that's, that's a similar pattern on the West Coast um, mm -hmm. that we've seen. They are, they're singing, um, they're staying much later than maybe we thought they were. They're definitely present up North in all months of the year, maybe in smaller numbers, but they're present there all the time. Sure. Um, and then being there could be a number of things. Um, maybe for some individuals, it doesn't make sense that year for them to migrate. Mm -hmm. So during migration, they fast. Mm -hmm. So they're not eating. Maybe in the summer, they didn't make up enough fat stores. You know, maybe it's a female that's recently gave birth the previous year 
and she's she's not going to go down for another year. She wants she wants a break to stay up north. Um, and we see that sometimes on the breeding grounds that there are more males than females. So maybe there's the females are hanging out about north through the winter. For sure. Um, or maybe it's just that they're all migrating at different times. So mm. you have some that go down early and by the time they come back up, there's a different individual that's just leaving such that there's always someone hanging out up north. Um, and then there's the question of, well, when they're doing these early season songs, are they trying to find a mate? Are they just practicing? What's going on there? So what I looked at was, well, what, what types of songs are they doing up north? Mm. Or do they sound the same as what they do down south? Mm. And what I've seen, at least on this coast, and anecdotally, I've seen it in other data sets. I've been really lucky that I've been able to look at data sets from um, many different places around the world. And what we see is that when they start singing in the fall, they don't just start singing the entire elaborate song. Mm -hmm. They don't, they're not just like, oh, I remember Jingle Bells and they sing the entire, I don't know, four minutes of Jingle Bells, however long Jingle Bells is. For humpback whales, it's hours. Um, They they remember it in bit, they, they start producing it in bits and pieces. Almost like, I don't know, November comes around, you kind of get something stuck in your head and you're just like, jingle bell, and then you stop. And mm-hmm. then later you hear like an all the way. <laughs> and they and they kind of, so in September, they're kind of building it up. They're kind of sticking it pieces back together. Um, and then for a while there, once they get the whole song, they're kind of singing it in, in like a weird order and they're all singing it in a different order. They haven't really synced up yet. Mm-hmm. And that kind of happened through the fall and then and then by the time winter hit then they they had it it was back at like the perfect jingle bells that they had the previous spring okay yeah so when I found that out it was kind of okay so what's what's going on here they're not just remembering it maybe they aren't trying to mate they're not singing the same way they do mm-hmm. when they're in the Caribbean um what does that mean and that's when I really dove into the bird literature. <laughs> so you kind of mentioned another big singers is the birds. Um, birds have been studied really, really well for a very long time, much better than whales. For sure. um, much so because they're really easy to study <laughs> compared to a humpback whale. Um, to the fact, to the point that we know how their brains work. Um, we know at certain singing seasons, the different levels of hormones in their bodies and how that relates to singing. Um, so, so after, and what we know about birds, at least with some of them, is that when they start singing and, and they're learning songs, they also kind of pick it up in pieces mm-hmm. and mess up the order of their songs. And it takes them a while to put it together. And in the bird world, they've really found that that links up to what's happening physiologically like mm. their brain actually changes while they're learning to sing mm. and once their brain is producing the right hormones and everything hits a certain level then they're capable of making their kind of full songs so that's kind of what I was wondering if maybe that's how that's what's happening with the humpback whales too maybe it's not just this cultural thing that they're learning and teaching each other but it's a mix and match of you know, a physiological body change picture going through puberty every spring. <laughs> that sounds exhausting. <laughs> yeah. So like your 
testes are growing and the hormones are flowing. And at first you can't quite sing or speak right, but then by the end of it, you're, you know, a robust male humpback whale bellowing out the perfect song is kind of what it seems like is going on. Um, so because of that, I, I don't know. Well, I think that's a question to be addressed. Are they maybe mating up north or not? Um, I, because they're not singing their full songs, maybe not. Maybe they're just practicing and, you know, their hormones are flowing and they're just, they're just trying to remember how to, how to get those ladies once they get down south. <laughs> yeah. Maybe like their bodies are just, cause they know they're supposed to be doing it at that time or like kind of trying to do it. Maybe it's too cold. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 No, for sure. No. Yeah. It, it definitely could be. I, I tried to look at it if there was, you know, as could I link it to anything in the environment? And there was, there was a little bit of evidence that it might have to do with uh, daylight hours. Mm. So of course, as you go down South, you get more hours in your day. Right. And also when you're up North, when the solstice hits, mm. there's a, there's a change in how many daylight hours there. Are. And I, I looked at that because that's really common, a trigger for birds. It triggers their brain to switch. And mm. there's like a little bit of evidence of that, but it's too, too early on to, to say. For sure. Um, so has this prompted any other questions that you plan to research? Man, I have, I have dream research questions, but I don't know how realistic they are. Um, I, there's a, I don't know exactly how it would be done. Um, it kind of comes back to your question about maybe they're mating up here. Uh, something about humpback whales, which is crazy if you think about it. So like you said, they're this famous species. Everyone knows what a humpback whale is. It's, you know, it's easier to describe to people than some other animals. Um, It's been studied exhaustively. We have so many questions about it, but it's been studied compared to other whales a lot. You know, people are out in Hawaii the entire breeding season out on boats, watching them, photographing them, videoing them, underwater, surface, all this, right? Um, and that's true of many of their breeding grounds mm-hmm. and uh, in their feeding grounds, people are whale watching. They're watching them all the time, mm-hmm. right? We have videos. You can YouTube humpback whale. You'll see a gazillion videos of them. And then research have been studying their songs since the seventies and been trying to understand if they're trying to attract females and all these exhaustive studies and tag data and this and that. And to this day, there has been no observation of humpback whales mating interesting yeah and these you know they've been watched for so long and if if you spend time on boats a lot of animals are really easy to watch mate Mm -hmm. they're not shy (laughs) they you know pilot whales dolphins right whales it's you don't have to be on a whale watching boat for long before you see you know genitalia out and about um and with humpback whales we haven't seen it so, which is again, one of those wondering if they're doing it up North or down South, they haven't even seen it down South. Um, so I have a dream, a dream study to add on to the, the vocal repertoire to, to try and figure out when they're doing that. And I suspect they're doing it at night. That would make sense. Um, I don't know if you ever saw this photograph, but um, Kate Cummings from Blue Ocean, whale watching out of Moss Landing, um, got a picture of a humpback whale breaching with its penis out. Um, oh, amazing. Yeah. So <laughs> that's like, awesome. I was on 
the, like a boat that was like in that same area. And like, we didn't observe any, like any, like sort of like with gray whales, like it's obvious when they're doing that. And like, we do see that up here sometimes, but it didn't seem like that, but it just like breached like, you know, and showed us everything. So I don't know <laughs> if that would be helpful to you, but it's really interesting. That is really interesting. Do you know if they were doing other, like was he doing surface activities with a bunch of males or females or was he just playing by himself? Um, it was a long time ago, but I could definitely put you in contact with her because she's definitely a whale nerd and would probably <laughs> remember what was happening because she remembers like all the whales. Um, so I don't remember exactly what was happening that day because I remember we pulled up, it like breached. And we were like, wait a second. And then she like, <laughs> and she sent it to us. Um, but I, I can't remember the details, but we do see like sometimes like the competitive groups up here. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. They do the, they kind of start doing the competitive groups the same time as they start those songs, mm-hmm. right? The same time all the hormones are going, they start the little bits mm-hmm. of songs, um, which again, makes you wonder, well, maybe they're successfully getting females too. One of the ideas is maybe they're not migrating down. A female wouldn't already migrate down if maybe she's already become impregnated up north. Yeah, makes so sense. That's, yeah, that's another what if yeah, <laughs> in the in the pile of what ifs. But yeah, no, that's cool. Um, yeah, it's just one of those neat questions. To- <laughs> And it's funny too, like, you know, we see all kinds of whales out here and obviously all the different types of whales act different and it, you know, it's different based on like pods or individuals as well, but like humpback whales, I would say are the least shy whale. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And yet like, we don't see that behavior from them, but like, we've seen it from lots of other animals. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and from doing acoustics, um, all over the world, like anywhere this has been looked at almost in every single study, it's been found but at night they're singing ramps up mm. compared to during the day. Mm-hmm. So, and I've seen that up North and down South. I feel like that would definitely be really hard to study just like tools yeah. wise and like interesting. Um, have you, have you seen that? I forget who put it out, but there was some docu-series on some streaming thing, but they, it was their new nighttime technology and they had a really cool one of orcas on it. Um, and I just wanted to call them and tell them to go do humpback whales and tell me what they were doing at nighttime. But I think the technology is going to get there. I think we're not far from it because they're making an entire documentaries on underwater at nighttime. So I, uh, I think that, I think with the right study, the right technology, we, we could get there and answer a lot of the questions of what on earth is going on with these animals. Definitely. Yeah, it is like really fascinating. I like I get a lot of questions from people on our boat, like about the whales and like, you know, I always like I'm telling people I'm like, this is what we think right now, but who knows what I could tell you tomorrow or in a year from now because they're just like surprising us all the time. Oh yeah. Give a whale a rule and they'll break it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah that was our yeah, humpbacks aren't aren't in Canada in the winter. No what? Yep. They're all year. This <laughs> like they hear you and they're like, really? All right. Awesome. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Especially with acoustics, it happens all the time. Um, it's so, it can be really hard to tell species apart and you give a rule. You're like, Oh, humpback, you know, humpback whales only make these sounds. This species only make that. No, they imitate each other. They, they can make whatever sounds they want. And you, you put 
put a rule on them or like another one big rule I don't know if you know this about um, acoustics but uh, it's been a rule of thumb for a very long time that only toothed whales make clicks mm. like echolocation clicks and I'd throw that out the window there's going to start being stuff coming out yeah there's some baleen whales doing it too and you just can't give can't give biology a rule it'll do whatever it wants yeah definitely <laughs> but that's like the really cool thing about it though is that, that like you can never stop learning like there's always something new and nature is always going to prove you wrong in some type of way 100 percent. and then it's the question of oh was was it always like this or has it changed that's like a neat question too. like maybe you know that understanding 10 years ago was how it was 10 years ago and right that makes it tricky too um with all this new technology we're just seeing things we never were able to see before so or hearing hearing things (laughs) yeah no definitely I totally agree with you on that um so a question I always ask people is what can we learn from the whales Mm. How to relax. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't gotten I don't know that how to how to have fun, how to relax. For sure. I feel like they're better at time management. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, they definitely know how to like, you know, live and play. Play is so important. I think people forget that, especially like in a culture that really values productivity, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and the humpback whales are really good at, at playing and taking naps and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. It sometimes feels like they're, they're definitely the smarter ones. They don't have a computer, but they seem, look how they spend their day. It's pretty nice. Yeah. You got to figure it out for <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. Well, what can we look for in the future? What kind of research projects are you working on next? My gosh, um, I'm working, uh, I've wrapped up, like you say, I wrapped up my, my PhD and my thesis there. So I'm kind of back on to um, really multi-species stuff. So I've been working a lot just on di- the diversity of species on the East Coast, different times of the year, trying to watch for changes in distribution and monitoring long-term trends mm. is uh, really what I'm trying to understand. I've been doing a lot of work with... Um, gliders recently these are these vehicles that you without a human they kind of you send them out in the ocean you kick them off a boat and they they float around out there and we're putting hydrophones on there so we can listen to whales from them too cool so yeah I'll we're just sticking hydrophones on whatever we can and <laughs> and listening so there's gliders there's these little autonomous boats on the surface with sails there's all sorts of things <laughs> dipping hydrophones from drones like who knows it's all this all this kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Well, if you need somebody to send one off the West Coast, send it to me. I'm happy to stick that in the water for you. Uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. We have like a couple little scientific floating buoys out there and all of them are always different. I think a lot of them are like measuring swell and things like that, but that would be cool to listen to the whales. They probably have a hydrophone on it, which whose buoys are they? Um, I know Scripps has put some buoys in there and then Ambari has too. Um, and I don't know whose buoys are whose, <laughs> but random buoys will just show up sometimes. Yeah. There's so many hydrophones out there. Um, all, all up and down the West coast too. Yeah. It's great. 
for sure. Amazing. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Is there, are there any final thoughts you care to share with our listeners? I don't think so. <laughs> In my first podcast experience. So, oh, so, fun. For, so for, forgive me yammering on, I can really, really just talk about whales forever. So <laughs> I think that's what the listeners want. Like, cause nobody who like no one's gonna listen to this unless they're a whale person (laughs) well that's true (laughs) and I think most whale people can talk about whales for hours um it's really funny my um ex-boyfriend still gets a kick out of it that like whenever I'm with my whale friends like he's like you guys we were like out getting drinks or something like that and he's like you guys talked about whales the whole time and then in like an hour passed and you guys were like still talking about whales and you just never stop talking about whales there's nothing better than a good whale debate over a beer exactly yeah no it's just so so fun so yeah no I appreciate you sharing your information we'll be sure to look out for your next projects um and yeah thank you for coming on the podcast thanks so much for having me for sure let's see